Happy Wednesday, Technically Female Tribe. It's Jasmine again for another episode of the Technically Female Podcast. As you all know, it is hashtag Ally August. This month, we are talking to some of the biggest allies I've had throughout my STEM career um, in the form of men. So men are taking over the podcast uh, this month. And today, I have a special guest for you. Vincent Sanders, one of probably the biggest allies I had uh, during my engineering career in college. Hey, Vince, how are you? Hey, Jasmine, I'm doing well. Thank you for the opportunity to be on the podcast. I'm excited to have this conversation with you today. Me too, because I know you're going to give uh, the tribe the real. So um, you guys are in for a treat. So Vince, before we start, like, who are you? Um, can you provide the tribe some insight into who you are and your background? Yeah, of course. So uh, I'm Vincent Sanders. I'm originally from Jacksonville, North Carolina. Um, I went to North Carolina State University, where, of course, that's where we met. Studied mm-hmm. uh, computer and electrical engineering. Um, during my time there, um, I did a co-op with blackberry so that's kind of like my first professional technical experience um i was a quality assurance tester so it was more so like automated testing um after graduation um i was kind of on the fence about like do i want to stay hardcore coding or go into like business analysis Mm -hmm. um so i decided to do business analysis at fidelity investments in the kind of financial services industry um and I stayed there in the financial services slash banking industry for about four and a half years. Um, and then I ended up switching over back to coding. Um, so currently I work at Nike as a senior software engineer. Um, and then on the side, I have my own consulting company. That's awesome. So busy as always, but making it happen. So that's really, really cool. Yeah, we uh, did meet in college. Um, and, you know, Vince is probably the first male I think I met in college um, during my engineering academic years. Um, so he was with me through the long nights of studying, uh, the countless lab projects that didn't work, uh, and the moments where I definitely wanted to give up and change my major and do something a little bit easier in my mind. And so, Mince, in your experience during your college, collegiate years, um, what stuck out to you as one of the biggest barriers for women and even minorities in pursuing the engineering as a major? Like, where did you see the, the gaps and the barriers? Um, the biggest barrier that I saw um, was really representation, mm. um, and I kind of see it on two fronts. One, from like the administrative and profe- uh, professor side, mm-hmm. um, I feel like that's a big barrier because if you don't have administrators or professors who kind of understand um, where you come from and the struggles that you deal with and the, the, maybe the skills or the things that you're lacking, mm-hmm. um, they're very quick to say, oh, you got to see in this class, you don't, you don't need, this is, this major is not for you, right. or like engineering is not for you. Right. Um, they're very quick to do that and discourage. Um, and it, that's one of the big barriers that I've, that I've seen, especially in my time in school. And then on the flip side, because there's a lack of representation, a lot of times um, females or males, minorities, are like the first mm-hmm. um so they have a lot of pressure of making sure that you know they're twice as good as their counterparts mm-hmm. they're not only in organizations but they're like on the executive board and like they have all this volunteer experience um and they have like this five-year plan of like this is what i need to hit <laughs> in order to get to where i want to be and a lot of times when something 
falls out of line with that plan, um, it feels like a big failure to them, and it's hard for them to be able to handle that. Um, so yeah. it's a lot of pressure, and everybody's not always equipped with the right tools to be able to handle some of the setbacks that may occur. Yeah, no, it's definitely a lot of pressure, um, for sure. And I think I talked about it maybe last episode, I can't remember, but about like, you start with, you know, your crew, like you have, you know, X amount of females and minorities that you start your degree with. And then by the end of it, it's kind of just you and maybe one other person. And I know we definitely experienced that we had a lot of um, females and minorities um, that we started with together. Um, in a program uh, initially before we started our degree. And, um, you know, we thought that we were all going to graduate together and walk across the stage together, but it ended up um, being just, I think, me, you, and maybe one or two other people um, that ended up finishing it. And the representation thing is really big. Representation in the classroom as far as, like, students, but then also, like, professors. I can't even think of a minority uh, professor, like, black professor I had in engineering I don't think I had one I know we had a couple like two maybe female um professors and just the notion of like okay well you didn't you know pass this class of flying colors then it's not the right fit for you but you know coming out of school we know that no one asks about grades and barely GPA now once you've kind of made your mark in certain uh, organizations but it's a lot of pressure to like ace everything um and in, in those in that curriculum yeah definitely it's um the one thing that I noticed when I got to school was that I was well behind mm. uh, my peers in classes so like prior to getting to NC State the only kind of technical experience I had was like some HTML some mm-hmm. Excel um and then getting to NC State and we were having to do like um use the command terminal um and do all this, I think it was, I forgot the language that they had us doing, like LC3 or something. Mm-hmm, um, that. <laughs> all that stuff, like, I had no experience to, but we had classmates who were like, oh, I was coding in high school, my dad's an engineer, mm-hmm. um, and those are the people who are getting, like, A's and B's in classes, mm-hmm. where I'm starting from scratch, trying to learn everything, so it's no, no wonder I was getting, like, C's and B's, mm-hmm. because, like, I was really missing the basics and the foundation, yeah. um, and and when you go to your advisor and they're like, well, you know, you should be getting A's in these classes. These classes are easy. Um, I don't think engineers for you. You might want to think about switching out. It's like, wow, I've yeah. only been here, you know, six months. And you're already telling me that I'm not cut out for this. Right. It's interesting because I'll say two things. Uh, even though we were different students and obviously he's male and female, I had the same experience with the, with the counselor six months in of like, maybe engineering's not for you. Maybe you should switch to math. So glad I didn't, but like the same conversation of like someone you're going to, to encourage you and help get you through, like, you know, help you pivot or figure out what you can do better to do well in those uh, courses is kind of trying to deter you from pursuing it. And then the part you mentioned about like prerequisites and taking courses in high school. It's funny because you mentioned like you didn't really have exposure to a lot of those courses. Um, whereas I went to a STEM uh, high school uh, that was supposed to be focusing on tech. And so there were like courses um, that were programming based, but like I think I still like was probably bare boned compared to what the other students were exposed to. And granted, my high school was in a 
predominantly urban area. It was predominantly black schools. So even though it may have seemed like we had a lot of resources to like be as successful as my, you know, white counterparts who went to high school and got those courses, it you saying that made me think I may have not had as much resources as I thought compared to what other students were getting um, that weren't of color um, in that space. So that's um, interesting. I never thought about it that way. Um, but I think you're, you're, you're spot on on the exposure um, and the uh, complexity of the exposure um, that we had versus other um, students. And so in college, um, we talked a little bit about some of the barriers, but what is one way that you feel that male students can best be an ally for female students who are pursuing STEM degrees? Because I think, you know, for me, I had a lot of group projects with males. In fact, all of my group projects were with males. Um, and there's a lot of different things you can talk about in that. But like, what did you see as one way that either you did or uh, males could have done to be a better ally for female students when they're pursuing uh, these degrees? Uh, I think the biggest thing is really empathy. Mm -hmm. So understanding um, struggles that females have in STEM um, and, and not just simply understanding, but being able to kind of convey that to others. Um, and then the other aspect of this is really speaking up and using your voice when you see um, wrong being done. Because um, I know there's times where, you know, since engineering was a lot, was a lot of males, so you'll be in a, you'll be in a room or be around conversations that are going on, mm -hmm. or people may be maybe discredit discrediting a female because they don't know this one thing, or because they got a seventy five on a test that they got a hundred on. Is like, oh, I don't want to work with her, or I don't know why she's here. Um, not just sitting back and kind of be like, well, I don't I don't believe that, but actually speaking up and saying, hey, this is not right. You don't know, you know, her struggle. You don't know what she's what she has done or what she's going through, because a lot of times um, people have stories or have things that they're dealing with outside of just going to class every day. Like mm -hmm. that person may be, may be working two jobs or they may be taking care of their siblings. You never mm -hmm. know what's actually going on. Um, so just really empathizing, understanding that struggle and then using your voice to speak up and then also using your voice to encourage as well. Mm -hmm. um, I know a lot of times people are going through things or people are doing things such as like you're doing this podcast and just by reaching out and saying, Hey, I listen to the podcast or Hey, you're doing a great job. Keep going forward. Mm -hmm. That could be that one thing that gives them that, that inspiration to keep going. Cause they may be on the point of breaking. Yeah. Um, but you giving that them words of encouragement really helps them to like, you know what, what I'm doing matters. People see me. Um, let's, let's keep going with this. Yeah, no, I think that empathy is huge. So, so huge. Just, I mean, that's in college and just even outside of college, like being empathetic to people and not saying you have to baby people, but like show some compassion. Like to your point, there's always two, three sides to the story, what you know, what they know and what's really going on. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people that are in college that are working two jobs. I know I was doing engineering, doing organizations, working, like trying to pay for things, like, and it's a lot going on. And so being more open and cognizant of just like your delivery of things and how you communicate things uh, is important. And to your point, those little moments of encouragement, really, I can even attest to that, like really got me through my degrees. Um, because there were a lot of moments where I'm at my breaking point And I'm like, I'm just gonna quit. Like, what's the worst that can happen? Like, this is hard. I'm tired of being stressed all the time. 
I'm tired of staying up till two, three o'clock in the morning. Like it's not fun. Um, but like those little moments where, you know, uh, someone encouraged me or someone was like, Hey, you're doing the right thing. Like that helps. And I think everyone needs that. And because to your point earlier, it's a lot of pressure. Um, and there's a pressure to be perfect and it's just not really what's going to happen. Um, and you have to leverage and lean on people that you're connecting with in your classes um, to help support you in that way. Because, I mean, honestly, like, that's probably why I think I'm so good at working on teams now is because of college. Like, because I'm used to group projects, because I relied so much on just, like, you know, teams working together and engineering uh, projects and, like, understanding, like, I can't do things successfully without a team, like, because I can only provide one perspective, um, which is okay, but two heads are better than one, um, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. And like to go along with that, I think the empathy, the other thing empathy has helped me with is really understanding my privilege. Because mm. like when you actually when you actually sit down and talk to people and they tell you kind of the things that they have to deal with, like for one example, for me, um, like maternity leave, mm. like that's one, that's one thing that like when you're in college or you're first out in the workforce, you see, you hear about, but it, it really didn't click for me until about like two years ago when mm-hmm. like people I work with actually went on maternity leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's a hard time for women just because um, when you go on maternity leave, sometimes you're forgotten about. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually when you go on maternity leave, somebody ends up filling your role. So it's kind of like a stretch assignment. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they do well, then like they end up taking your role. And then when you come back, it's like, where are you placed? Right. A lot of times you're, you're forgotten about. So they end up placing you on like, some old team that's not doing any new stuff or like a space where you don't want to be. Um, and it's just really interesting seeing that. Cause I was like, man, that, that really sucks because it really puts women in a hard place of like, do I grow my family mm-hmm. or do I kind of focus on my career versus mm-hmm. then people actually having to plan is like, okay, I know you're going on maternity leave, but this is our, this is what the plan is going to be for when you come back and we're, you're not going to lose the momentum that you've had that you've created thus far. Yeah, yeah, because it's like a life decision. It's like, do I put my, and that's a big thing, I think, on the, on the women's side, female side too, is do I put my work life first or my personal life first? And I definitely have not had maternity leave, but, like, have struggled with, like, what's the priority? And, like, you know, sadly, like, work has been my priority for a while now, and there's things in the personal life that I've missed out on, and it's that fear of, like, being forgotten, or that fear of, I know I'm, like, really on this flow with my job, like, I know I'm, like, gonna get promoted, or I know that I'm gonna get the opportunity to do, you know, whatever it is I want, but, like, if I decide to prioritize something else, like, why should that be a choice of, like, oh, it's either this or that, Um, and I've even heard, like, horror stories of, like, women who've had babies who come back and lose their job or they come back and to your point don't get to do what they were doing and it's like they never existed right and even though there's the promise of you know we'll have a spot for you when you come back it doesn't mean it's where you want to be um or they just assume well you've been out of the game or out of the office for x amount of months so you like can't possibly remember all these things or get caught up to speed on all the changes and so i i know a lot of women will like lessen the amount of time that they have maternity leave because of the fear of missing out but then also being replaced and not being able to continue what they were uh, doing before they had a child which is crazy because that having a child has nothing to do with your ability to do the job um but it's almost to your point like correlated in some form or fashion 
um, in people's minds. Yeah, and that, I think that's where just understanding other people's perspectives and things mm-hmm. that they're going through um, really helps you to really see what privilege you have and, mm-hmm. and how you can really speak up and stand up for them in those situations when you see that happening. Yeah, for sure. And I think for me, uh, when people speak up in meetings, even when you like hear something that you know is not okay, like silence is, is still a response, right? Like you not saying yeah. anything is a response, whether you feel like it is or it's not. Like it doesn't mean you have to like be angry or like show emotion, but like not saying anything is a response and it's not cool. And I just think about the amount of things that could change, you know, not only in this world, but in STEM, if people just spoke up and said, Hey, you know, that's not cool. Um, you know, you should think about it this way, or we should, you know, maybe address this in a different manner or uh, attitude. Um, but you know, at this point we are, I guess, eight years removed from college, which is crazy. Um, you can't believe it. Time's flying. Um, but like in your opinion, uh, would you say that substantial improvements have been made to encourage women in STEM? And if so, uh, like what differences have you noticed? Um, and if not, what can we do? What more can be done to encourage women in STEM, um, in your opinions? So um, I think there has been a good amount of improvement um, in regards to encouraging women in STEM. Mm-hmm. Um, just from like all the programs that there are out there now, as far as like Girls Who Code, Black Girls Who mm-hmm. Code, um, you have like Intech and other programs like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there are a lot of programs out there, and then a lot of existing programs are putting more emphasis in, in getting female applicants in the program. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what can be improved though is on the back end. So holding um, universities accountable mm-hmm. for not only accepting women into these engineering or these STEM fields, mm-hmm. but providing them with the resources to be able to excel in these programs and be able to get internships and be able to mm-hmm. get what they need out of the, out of the university in their, mm-hmm. their education. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also holding these companies accountable mm-hmm. for not only hiring more women, setting them up to, for success, like providing them with whatever resources they need um, to be successful, get the opportunities they need to be able to be positioned to get the promotions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the, the two biggest things that we need to make sure, because I feel like on the front end, we're doing things as far as sparking interest, providing mm-hmm. them with uh, various technologies early on to say, hey, this is something that I'm interested in. Or, hey, this is something that I see that's valuable and I can apply it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. But we need to make sure that the universities and the college, the universities and the companies are actually doing their part. to Because now we have this huge influx in talent mm-hmm. to be able to actually pull from that and use that. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I definitely think the accountability factor is huge um, from a university standpoint, like develop, developing them through it, helping them have the resources to be successful and like, branding themselves and being confident and connecting them to the companies but you raised a huge point like companies are responsible too it's not just on the universities like it's a company's responsibility to one change the mindset and b and two to make the community or the environment that uh women in stem are working in to be comfortable and open and and you know a place where women want to work because here's the issue if you 
you know, hire them and then they're disinterested or they deal with some of the things that go on in the these organizations, they're going to want to leave, right? It's going to go back to the point of you mentioned earlier of like deterring you, like I just don't want to do this anymore um, because it's tough. Like it's tough being a woman and, and STEM and, and in corporate and in tech and it's a lot of energy. It's a lot of fighting, you know, for yourself, which is sad, um, but it's up to the companies to really hold their employees accountable, their leadership accountable, and really culture, cultivate that culture and that environment um, that is one that uh, a woman wants to work in. So I think you hit a really good point of like, it's a partnership between the two. One can't do it without the other. And it's it's got to be uh, more formalized and it's got to be more intentional, um, I think, uh, to your point. Yeah, definitely. Um... It, I would love to see, because like, one of the other issues that I see is that there's not a lot of um, women in, like, managerial positions, mm-hmm. so, like, uh, engineering manager, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. um, and I know, like, one quick fix is, like, oh, hey, let's go hire somebody externally, mm-hmm. um, which is great as a quick fix, but another thing that we need to look at is also stop setting our requirements so high mm-hmm. for, like, lower tier engineering roles mm-hmm. um and bringing more women intern uh like entry level so that when openings start or rising up you can promote them and hire within mm-hmm. um because a lot of times what happens is there will be openings in a company but there aren't any women internally that can fill that role right, right. so of course there's not going to be a woman that's hired it's going to be a male that's promoted because mm-hmm. there aren't women there so by trying to get that pipeline in early get them in earlier um you can help them grow and be prepared for those opportunities when they come. Mm-hmm. And to your point, that perpetuates the problem, right? Like if there's not women sitting at the table that you can develop and get into these leadership roles, then obviously the the um, the option is males. And then, you know, the male could want to be in that role forever until they're ready to retire. Then that's 20 years down the road. And then like <laughs> you never get the option to have a female leader because of the way that the system set up. Um, and that's a really valid point um, because it's either a, someone's been there for X amount of years. So, you know, how most organizations run, well, they've been here for 15 years. So we're going to promote them whether they're ready for it or not. And a lot of times it's a male or B we got to go externally to find a female who you know, may have 101 organizations coming at her. So she may pick our organization or not, depending on, you know, what the role is. And so it makes it harder than if you just, to your point, developed and promoted from within and started early um, versus trying to back end to the issue. Um, So that's a really good point. And so I want to talk, shift a little bit and talk about entrepreneurship uh, and, you know, the grind, because you mentioned you work as a senior application engineer at Nike by day and are the founder of TG4 Solutions during your, I'll put in air quotes, free time, because who has free time anymore? Um, (laughs) Time we don't sleep, that's free, uh, that we should be sleeping. But uh, so I want to know more about like, what is TG4 Solutions? Why did you decide that you wanted to also uh, follow entrepreneurship? And also want to hear your thoughts on what you've noticed when it comes to women in tech entrepreneurship. Like, do they exist? Is that uh, is there an area of opportunity there? So I want to hear all about it. Okay. So TG4 Solutions is, simply put, just a consulting um, company that I started. Um, essentially, 
what what the intent behind TG4 Solutions is really to use my expertise to help people make smarter decisions faster. Hmm. Um, Because I realized that um, I came across this concept of relative expert a couple years ago, Mm -hmm. um, where essentially everybody is an expert. Hmm. And what happens is you may have like a year of experience in, in a, a year of experience in one field, right? Mm-hmm. And some, to somebody who has no experience, you're like an expert, right? And you can <laughs> share that. You can share that whatever you know to them, and they're like, "Oh, great." Um, and there may be somebody who has five years experience that can do the same thing for you. So with that, I was like, I know that I'm not. I don't know everything about technology and programming, but I know enough to be able to help people who have small budgets um, or who don't know anything about technology. I can help them get. I hope to level up. Right. Um, so with that, I was like, man, and my innate desire to want to help people. I was like, I want to start my own company where I can do this. Mm. Um, and on the flip side, help people that I know who have an interest in getting experience outside of their career. Because a mm-hmm. lot of times what what companies will do will be like, hey, um, you want to be a senior engineer. Well, you need to know these 10 technologies mm-hmm. and you need to be able to do this. However, your day-to-day role, you only get exposure to three of those technologies. Mm-hmm. So what I wanted to do was go out and find contracts and find, create partnerships with companies that are giving me work and then provide that to friends that I know who are looking to broaden their skill sets. So oh, for yeah. instance, say somebody's like, yo, I'm in HR. I think I want to get into software engineering. But I don't, I don't have much experience. I just have a desire. So for me, I'm like, okay, if I find a, if I find a contract that is of interest to you, I'll give you the work, pay you for your time, and then help you down that path so that it'll help your transition be easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that, so that's kind of the two things that, for me, that was really stuck out for as far as starting the company was, one, helping people, and two, helping my friends and people that I know who have a passion and desire level up gotcha. um, just because I kind of know how the game works. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also there's just the freedom of ownership. That was like a big thing for me as far as like owning something and being able to pass something down to my kids mm-hmm. um, and then pass it on. Um, so have that generational wealth. And then as far as women in tech entrepreneurship, they do exist. I feel like one thing that's lacking is just like, that exposure mm. and that spotlight mm. on the things that they are doing. Because um, there's a, I've go to like conferences like Afrotech and mm-hmm. I meet so many women who have like their own consulting firm or they're doing, they do whatever it may be. Um, and they're very knowledgeable, have a lot of experience. Like I met one lady, she has her own um, archery business. Mm. So like she, from her archery business, she actually started teaching arch- archery in the um, school system. Oh, cool. Um, it, it was just fascinating to hear about that. And like, I didn't even know that was like an avenue um, that people got into. Um, so like from going to these conferences and meetings, people have learned a lot. And I've seen a lot of the great things that they're doing. I just don't think they're, they're kind of highlighted. Mm-hmm. Um, and, then, and then one of the things that I know that I, the trap that I always fall into is when I think entrepreneur, a lot of times I think of people who run multi-billion dollar companies. Yeah. So you think of like Jeff Bezos, um, Mark Zuckerberg, people like that. But like there's people who run businesses that make 50K a year, 100,000 a year, or even less than that. 
that are making a huge impact and they're entrepreneurs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so just understanding that and knowing that their stories matter as well mm-hmm. and that people are doing great things. So I think if we can just find ways to tie those stories and I think mm-hmm. it also ties back into kind of like representation mm-hmm. because when you have more women in the field, they know about these stories. So they'll focus on highlighting so much of what you're doing with your podcast mm-hmm. um, and highlighting the stories that you know are important of value that are overlooked. Mm-hmm. No, that's all. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, have me looking at entrepreneurship a different way too, but I think it's really uh, important to highlight what's going on because I think there's so much just, I'll just say junk that's highlighted in the world that like is like irrelevant. And if we highlighted more things of what people are doing to your point, it could encourage others to want to pursue it because, you know, in my mind, it's like entrepreneurship seems like really cool, but it seems like a lot of work. And I, and from what you've said, it definitely is a lot of work, but like it, the reward is worth the effort. Right. And a lot of effort that you may put in other things you could leverage in this. If there's something you're really passionate about, Um, because when you're passionate about something, the work doesn't feel like work sometimes. It just feels like it's just something you're doing because you're excited, right? It's the adrenaline rush. It's the, oh man, I love this. And it doesn't feel like a hassle. Um, And so finding that sweet spot of like, what am I passionate about? How can I help people? And how can I do something? It doesn't have to be, to your point, a large scale, but it's still um, something that could impact other people's lives, right? And I always say for me, like, my the thing that keeps me going every day is helping other people, like, impacting their life. Even if, like, with this podcast, even if it's one episode or one word that someone hears that motivates them or gets them to the next stage of life or whatever they're trying to do, like, my job's done. Like, that's why I do what I do um, for this um, tribe. Yeah, it's the one, I think the, the biggest surprise for me with the whole entrepreneurship um, is it's helped me actually in my day job mm. um, because I've gotten experience with different technologies just because I was like, oh, I've heard about this. Let me try it out. Or mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, I actually want to make a mobile app. So I dabble into it um, or even like trying to secure clients. So like being able to make a pitch to clients and say, Hey, this is why you should go with me versus the other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and having those conversations with them, kind of understanding what they need, um, when they need it, when they need it by being able to, um, determine expenses and costs and be able to manage the business. All those things are things that are needed in corporate America, whether you're an engineering engineering manager, a director, a VP, whatever you are, whatever level you're at, all those things matter. Mm-hmm. But kind of to my earlier point, you don't really get that experience moving up the ladder. Mm-hmm. It's like once you, it, it blows my mind. It's like once you become like a manager, they expect you to know how to handle a budget and allocate resources. But it's like none of your previous roles allowed you to do that. To yeah. That. <laughs> So it's all of a sudden you're supposed to have that skill set, which is crazy to me. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Uh, They don't prepare you for what you're getting yourself to. And honestly, I think that's sometimes what, and we could go on this tangent for a while, but I just want to say, like, that's also why I think a lot of managers struggle and they're not good managers or they're not good leaders because of those building blocks of, like, being empathetic, understanding the budget, like, understanding the full scope. Like, they are promoted uh too early or it's just not the right fit for them but because back to the point earlier of like you've been here for so long so like of course the gradual next step is to get a manager role whether 
it makes sense realistically or not. Um, but no, really good point. And so um, at the end of every episode, um, I ask my guest to provide a word to the wise, which can be a word, a statement, a poem, a quote, a rap. No one has rapped yet. Um, but um, just something to empower uh, and leave with the tribe uh, to encourage them through their STEM journey. So Vince, what is your word to the wise? Yeah, so when you sent me this question, I was like, what What am I going to say? <laughs> what What should I say? Um, and, like, I thought about it. I talked it over with my wife. She was like, nah. Because at first I was like, maybe talk about, like, um, not letting, like, your accolades define you mm-hmm. or anything like that. But then she was like, nah, it should be something more specific to the audience. Um, <laughs> so my word to the wives would be for all the minorities and women in STEM, to really just know your worth and be confident mm. and don't let people um, dim your light. Because, mm. um, like, when you're a female in a, a male-dominated industry, a lot of times, whether it's indirectly or directly, sometimes it's a culture thing mm-hmm. where people don't respect the, your input as a female. Mm-hmm. Um, just because in their culture, a woman is supposed to be submissive and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you're giving input in a meeting or you stand up for yourself, it's not really accepted and don't let that one person or that one instance prevent you from speaking up and standing up for yourself going Mm -hmm. forward Mm -hmm. Um, because that's what's needed and also your perspective on things since it's not common is very valued and is needed Mm -hmm. so when you understand that your perspective is unique and provides value even though the, the, the men in your team or your industry may not understand it eventually they will and you'll be highly coveted so mm-hmm. don't forget that and just keep going forward and don't let people deter you yeah i love that that's so good i it's funny every time i do these episodes i'm like I'm helping out the tribe i'm like no that helps me too because it, it's easy to forget and you need that you need that reassurance like every day as a woman almost like know yourself know your worth and keep doing what you're doing because you're valuable um, so I appreciate uh, that, and I appreciate your wife giving you some context um, to help with, because <laughs> that's a good word. That's a really good word. Um, and so I appreciate you as well, Vince, for being a guest on my podcast today. I'm sure the Technically Female Tribe is also equally grateful. Um, we will continue um, the last uh, week of Hashtag Ally August next week. Um, so super excited to wrap up the series. Um, but as you know, tribe, uh, continue to share the stimulism.